0: Let's be honest, realtors face an ever-changing industry. With emerging tech, growing trends, and a booming market, it's vital to keep up. Join me, Gilbert Gonzalez, CEO for the San Antonio Board of Realtors, as I get real with experts on what realtors need to know in this industry. It's time to get real. I'm out at the NAR conference in San Francisco, and today I'm talking with a few key staff from NAR that have some great information to share with our members. At the conference, NAR's Board of Directors passed the Clear Cooperation Policy, also known as MLS 8.0. We're here with Renee Galicia, NAR's Director of MLS Engagement, who's been responsible for educating members at the conference and around the country on the background for this policy. Thank you for Renee for joining us. I actually would love to talk to you about 8.0. A lot of our members have heard about it. Can you tell us what it
1: is? Absolutely. So uh, 8.0, or as we're calling it, the clear cooperation policy proposal. Uh, simply put, it reinforces the uh, the, ten- the core tenets of what the MLS is, and uh, you know, the aspect of cooperation behind uh, participants joining an MLS. Uh, so the policy, as it stands today. Uh, just requires that within one business day of, of publicly marketing a property, a uh, participant has to put uh, that listing into the MLS for uh, sharing with other participants. Uh, so again, just reinforces what the MLS is, uh, participants' agreement to cooperate with other brokers uh, in the marketplace and make available listing information.
0: So some of the questions I've had is, why now? We've had pocket listings for a long time. Okay. Why are we doing this now?
1: So. Th- this has kind of uh, been, you know, it, 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 a long time coming in terms of, uh, you know, the guidance that's needed. Uh, the MLS Tech and Emerging Issues Advisory Board, for a number of years, has, has fielded questions and, uh, you know, from members and MLSs asking for some guidance on how to deal with, uh, you know, pocket listings or off MLS listings or limited exposure listings generally. Um, I think way uh, even back to 2012, 2014, somewhere thereabouts, uh, there was a work group that was put together to look at this issue and initially the thinking was, uh, you know, let's leave that to the local marketplaces, the local MLSs to, um, you know, put some rules in place or, or figure out how to solve for this. Uh, but with the growing uh, use of uh, or the growing practice of off MLS, you know, limited exposure listings. Uh, it's it's you know, become a pain point nationally. And uh, the advisory board felt that now was the time to, uh, you know, provide some clear guidance on what it is to, uh, you know, share, cooperatively share listing information within the MLS.
0: If we're calling in a pain point, then that means we're saying it's a problem. Why is it a problem?
1: Well, it, you know, the primary problem is, uh, you know, you're, you're fragmenting the market, right? You're, uh, If you're excluding listings from the MLS, uh, uh, not providing wide exposure, uh, you're not, Acknowledging what the MLS is and, and you know what it's done over the past 100 years uh, to make the market what it is today, uh, you know CMLS, the Council of Multiple Listing Services, uh, you know puts it clearly that it, the MLS is make the market work. And the problem is by leaving uh, you know certain inventory off the MLS, you exclude it from access to consumers and to uh, partic- other participant brokers in the MLS. They don't have a clear picture of what the market is doing both and what's available for for sale but also in, in pricing and uh, in, in gathering market information, market statistics to for buyers, brokers, when they're presenting and working with uh, clients, when they're presenting that information over.
0: So I've seen some of the advertisements in favor of this and it had somebody in a wheelchair saying, I, I wish I would have known about that house that had larger hallways because mm-hmm. it would have been perfect for me. Yeah. Um, are we talking fair housing on these kinds of issues or are we talking mm-hmm. just fairness between all of the cooperating agents?
1: Well, it, it's certainly, it's you know, there are several who have raised those concerns about this being a fair housing uh, issue uh, concern. Um, you know, certainly what we do know is that by providing the widest exposure of listing information to the widest audience of both uh, cooperating brokers, part, you know, other participants within the MLS platform, but also uh, when you're sharing that listing information out, IDX and VOW to other consumers, uh, we know that that creates for, for more seamless, uh, uh, you know, uh, one-stop shop, if you will, of, of, of listing information for, for everyone involved. Um, you don't force uh, a potential buyer uh, that's out there looking for a home. And as we know, our, you know, survey after survey shows that uh, oftentimes the, the very first step that a consumer or potential buyer takes is to go online, do a Google search, or, or look at property online. If we make them uh, go through or, or experience a fragmented marketplace, uh, they're forced to uh, one, you know, potentially not be able to work with one single broker. Uh, they're having to search out and try to find these private listing clubs to access listing information. And, uh, you know, certainly there, there are concerns there uh, that, that have been voiced. And uh, this policy here seeks to, to eliminate those, those issues, um, you know, get that, that listing information in the one centralized source, uh, which is the MLS, which uh, you know, makes for, for, it's an efficient marketplace of, of listing inventory. I'll come back. I, I, I have always, we've heard a lot about
0: how this benefits consumer buyers. And I think some of the questions I've had from our members is how does this affect our client customer sellers? So I want to come back to that. But before, um, just NAR was exploring this before you said in 2014. And I know I found an article that said, there are situations when pocket listings may be appropriate. So this is a change from where we were in the past.
1: Uh, well, I, I I think that the policy acknowledges that po- there's still a place for pocket listings, if you will, um, and pocket listings in terms of office exclusives, which is uh, uh, you know that's what we more commonly see the the term applied. Right? Um, policy exists that allows for for office exclusives. Um, this uh, the clear cooperation policy proposal doesn't change that. Uh, you know certainly where there's a uh, concerns for privacy uh... safety uh... if you have a sensitive transaction occurring uh, i know in a lot of the discussions you know we always point to if you have a celebrity client but uh... what if you have a family member who uh... is going through uh... some litigation or or has uh, you know s- some concern divorce divorce right. is another s- scenario um, we've had some, uh, questions about uh, you know, someone getting death threats and and they're they're wanting to move and and they need that privacy certainly you can you can take an office exclusive listing um, and, and serve that client that way. So we don't change that, we don't eliminate that, uh, we don't prohibit you from from doing that with this policy. That's still There's still a, a place for that in the market.
0: I can do it. I, I take a listing, I tell my seller we're gonna keep it off the MLS, still okay. Yes. It's the moment I start to market that, right? Or advertise or market?
1: Well, both, and and so two things you said. Uh, uh, let me come back to the ad- difference between advertise and market, but um, first thing you said right as the broker telling the 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 seller the the client that they're going to leave it off the mls uh we would hope that it's a conversation where uh you know the the broker informs the seller uh gives them their options uh discusses uh the pros and cons and uh, they work together to arrive at what's in the seller's best interest Uh, and if the seller identifies that it's in their best interest not to you know privacy concern whatever the case may be to go down the route of an office exclusive that's certainly allowed within the policy now, what this policy does address, though, is when the determination has been made that it's in the, in the client's best interest and here the seller uh, to publicly market that property, uh, then that's where the policy kicks in and the requirement kicks in to uh, expose that listing and you know, put into the MLS and make it available to other participants.
0: So is it kind um, of like we're defining what an office exclusive is then that an office exclusive means it stays in your office? The moment you put a sign in the front yard, the moment you put it into any other... Um, Avenue that will make it available to other agents except the MLS. That's the moment. It is no longer considered an office exclusive
1: I think that's right and and uh, I think the the best way to look at it is uh, This what this policy says or or gets at is that public marketing is not uh, an aspect of an office exclusive Um, And I wanted to come back quickly quickly to your question between uh, the difference between advertising and marketing um, which is you know the, the committee or the advisory board rather Had a discussion about whether to use advertising or marketing. Uh, They came back and centered uh, on the word or or agreed on the word marketing uh, because advertising is a component of marketing. Uh, You can do you can undertake various actions uh, for a marketing plan. Uh, So that's their intent was to uh, create more of a wider net so that uh, you weren't limiting this to some forms of advertising, but rather all forms of public uh, uh, marketing uh, in any medium. Okay.
0: My understanding is that you did a little bit of research on, or let me ask, did y'all do any research? I know there's some MLSs, as part of the discussions going on here at NAR, that they've already implemented this. What has been the experiences of those other MLSs and their implementation of this policy?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the advisory board did uh, seek to to hear from a wide range of uh, interested parties, right? Uh, Members in various markets, MLSs in various markets. Uh, uh, there are MLSs uh, that provided feedback that have already implemented this. Uh, so Northwest MLS has implemented uh, something similar. Uh, MRED in Chicago has implemented something similar. Smart MLS in Connecticut has has done the same. Uh, and there are others in other markets that have uh, gone down this path. Most recently, Bright MLS uh, implemented this rule. Uh, and the feedback that, that was provided was that this helped to solve the problem of uh, limited exposure listings and sharing uh, the listing information with other participants. Uh, there was a lot of discussion about time frames and uh, statuses and how, you know, implementation concerns. How, do, how are the MLS's handling, uh, you know, what's life look like after this type of policy is implemented, uh, which is a, the tech aspect of it, and how do you track this on a status or uh, what are the requirements for, um, do you need a change or eliminate the waiver forms, you know, the operational concerns behind that. Did, how, how about enforcement?
0: How did all of those associations force, because if if this rule passes, and uh, today it went through the MLS, it did pass the MLS committee, so we'll go to the board of directors on Monday. Um, How are the associations expected to enforce this? Is it fine, discretionary, up to what we want? How? What is y'all's recommendation?
1: So from a a national policy perspective, uh, compliance or enforcement, uh, again, that's a local determination. The guidance that we provide is uh, the recommendation that this is a whatever enforcement mechanism you put in place, that it's uh, progressive uh, enforcement. So, uh, for example, on on a first-time violation, uh, you likely wouldn't, you know, Hit somebody with a fifteen thousand dollar fine, for example. Um, you know, we we would hope that as part of the implementation, there's some time for the MLSs to put out some some training material, uh, get the information in front of members. Uh, I know that CMLS has has mentioned that they're putting together some resources to help with impl- implementation. You know, the educational aspects, uh, and hopefully you won't. Uh, you won't have to go down that route, but uh, that determination is left to, to the local MLSs and associations to uh, set out a, a, a citation and fine schedule if that's, that's what's needed as part of their ongoing compliance efforts. Uh, but again, the recommendation is that it should be progressive.
0: So I know the answer, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Our mm-hmm. MLS is required to follow this rule. Could we locally then say we no longer want, we, we don't agree with this rule, and we're not going to put it into our MLS rules?
1: So broadly, uh, the rule, adoption of the rule is mandatory. Um, And so you would have to to adopt this uh, locally as part of your rule set uh, where you, if you have some leeway, if you will, so for example, uh, you could make this a little bit more restrictive in the sense of our policy says within one business day, uh, you know, the policy that came out of committee says within one business day. um, We've had one MLS inquire at least, uh, there could be others that they wanted to, at the local level, rather than require one business day, they wanted to go down to uh, 24 hours. And so that's something that you could potentially do, but you couldn't make it more broad. So for example, you couldn't modify the rule to say, uh, we'll give you 30 days to submit the listing once you begin public marketing, so.
0: So we can't make it, we can make it more strict, but we can't make it less.
1: Right, Right. that's correct.
0: Um, So for us, for example, if we put this in, currently we have a 72 hour period. Mm -hmm. I have a listing. I have 72 hours, uh, my client signed it, I have 72 hours before I have to put it into the MLS. Right. Does it change my 72-hour period that I have for my local?
1: Yeah, so great question. And that's typically, uh, you know, we typically refer that to that as the, the mandatory submission policy, right? Where uh, once you take the listing, you have, you know, you're on the clock now to get that listing input into the MLS. Uh, nothing changes with this policy unless you undertake public marketing within that 72-hour uh time frame and in your case here um, you know MLS so I have, is very... I have the listing
0: mm-hmm. i'm going to put it into the mls in 72 hours but it, within 24 hours i already have it on facebook or i'm sending out email blasts you're saying that's when the the one business rule applies that's correct
1: that'll kick in oh,
0: okay um, so as an association uh Sabor did have a scheduled listing status implemented for a while now because we we knew that agents had a need to Have the listing agreement comply with the 72 hours, but then they didn't want to market it to the public. So we have a database. Does this affect the ability for us as an association, as an MLS, to have our scheduled listing status? Um, Can agents still utilize this? People have implied that this affects coming soons. Um, What would be your response to that?
1: Yeah, it's a great question, and that uh, relates to the coming soon because this policy is not, uh, and some have even called it the coming soon policy. Uh, This policy doesn't. address doesn't prohibit or require you know coming soon's um, or the practice of coming soon or the adoption of coming soon statuses uh, locally Uh, it it wouldn't it wouldn't keep you from your ability to have that status. Uh, so in some markets, they'll call this a delayed showing status. Uh, some have implemented a coming soon status. Uh, I, I think the best way to look at this is uh, taking, you know, referring back over to RESO, the real estate standards organization, and the great work that they're doing in standardizing data. They have standard statuses, uh, and one of those is you know, coming soon. Um, uh, so if you wanted to adopt something where there's a delayed type showing or delayed uh, listing, you can certainly continue to do that. Uh, the go- whole goal here is that you'd have that listing information within the MLS platform, uh, but once, if that delayed showing, for example, and I don't think that's the case with you guys, but if, for example, you had a delayed showing status or a coming soon status that was not exposed to other participants, it was more of a internal draft uh, type entry where only the listing broker could see it, uh, if they un- undertake public marketing, then they would be required to publish that uh, into the MLS platform so other participants can see that.
0: Okay. so. A lot of the comments that we've heard is um, the reasons why, and I think all of our members can get behind the idea of the MLS facilitates the market, it is what makes um, this industry work. This idea that a group of competitors come together, they put all their data in there because we want to make sure, one, a house is available to as many people as possible, and that um, within this industry we're all going to cooperate. The tension point for us in Texas is because we are a non-disclosure state. And earlier I said, you know, this focuses on the ability of a buyer to find the house out there. But some of our members are saying, what about the seller? What about the seller who um, is very much accustomed to our non-disclosure status and therefore they don't want to have it in the MLS? I'm a realtor. I have a, a person who doesn't want their house in the MLS because they don't want to have the sold price placed in that database. So they say, I'd like to hire you as my realtor Please market it however you see fit, but do not put it into the MLS. That's going to be a problem for us. How are we, as an association, going to address that? Right.
1: So, it, it, non-disclosure, right? That typically uh, applies to, uh, as I understand it, um, uh, you have your attorney sitting here next to me, so he can he can throw something at me if he if I get this wrong. Um, but don't you throw know, anything. My, <laughs> <laughs> my understanding, right, on non-disclosure is essentially that. A uh, governmental agency can't require the disclosure of uh, that sold price or that sold information to the, uh, you know, to those agencies, Correct. right? Correct. It's the and,
0: absence of the rule, right? right? So in our state, we don't have a rule that says you have to give Correct. the information to the state.
1: Right. Where the MLS is different, though, is uh, by using the MLS, you, you can, by rule, require the tracking or the submission of, of information, in, including sold price. Uh, if we have a scenario where uh, a seller absolutely does not want to input that information into you know, the broker-to-broker network, which is the MLS, uh, and they wanted to leave their listing off the MLS for those reasons, uh, then the listing broker could still take an office exclusive listing uh, and market that to, you know, within the brokerage uh, and find a client directly. Uh, But if the decision is made that it's in the seller's best interest to widely uh, disseminate this listing, uh, then this rule would require, the clicker operation policy would require that that listing be uh, exposed and made available to other participants. But what they don't lose is the ability to, the seller, if they're still concerned about that information getting out from the broker-to-broker network, that's the MLS, they can still provide a direction or instruction to exclude that listing from internet publication. Uh, so leaving it off IDX and VOW, for example, seller doesn't lose that ability to opt out of that, uh, leaving that information only within the MLS platform, uh, broker-to-broker network. See, and I, and I think
0: it's not so much that the consumer seller doesn't want the property marketed Mm -hmm. they know though if you put it in the mls then the if you get the benefits of the mls right i put my house in the mls The the benefits are it's going to be marketed uh because of idx because of syndication in all these places it's not so much that they want to avoid that they don't like the idea that information about how much that price sold for how much Mm -hmm. that property sold for is going to be available uh just available in general. They want to keep it confidential. Kind of kind of like commercial world, right? The commercial world avoids the MLS because they don't want sales price out there and anywhere available. So it would still be that tension where, uh, yes, I want to hire a realtor to help market my property. I want them to put it in magazines. I want them to put it out there on the internet, but I don't want my sales data in your MLS. It, it, it won't be able to be done. I mean, they're going to, the realtor will have to tell that homeowner, I don't know if I can list this property for you because if, if I list it, I have two options. I put it in the MLS and I can market it however we see fit, whether it's a lot or a little, mm-hmm. or I make it an office exclusive, but that means I literally can't tell anyone except for my brokerage, right? And, and, and it is only brokerage, right? It is not a franchise. Correct. Um, Correct. I can't tell anyone in my brokerage other than my brokerage about that property. Right. The moment I put a sign in the front yard, I'm in violation of 8.0. So, how are we gonna? Is there gonna be some leeway for us in Texas on how we're gonna implement this?
1: So, so there's no, uh, you know, related to, to the issue of reporting, uh, you know, the final sales price uh, to the MLS. You know, that that's a practice that occurs today, right? Um, uh, this policy doesn't have a carve out or an exception for that. Um, that's certainly a discussion and, and maybe some education that needs to occur between the listing broker and and the seller. And uh, again, if the seller uh, determines that. You know, again, the you know the benefits of the MLS come come with some requirements as well for the listing broker, which is uh, reporting the true and accurate information, uh, subject to the rules of the service. And they advise that uh, they make that determination in conjunction with the seller that if the concern about reporting the sold price is, is you know overrides all the other benefits, then an option to them is the office exclusive. But if they make the determination that uh, the benefits of uh, inputting the listing to the MLS, override the concerns of, uh, of, you know, the potential for the information, sales price information, make it over for a property value uh, assessment, for example, um, then, you know, uh, that's handled accordingly. Um, but, it, you know, let's not forget that, what uh, this policy doesn't do, while it doesn't address those, or alleviate those concerns that the homeowners might have, this is uh, an, a conversation that's worth continuing to have and discuss, and whether it's uh, looking for solution through advocacy and employing uh, your know, advocacy resources and uh, engagement with, with uh, governmental agencies, um, that's a conversation that should continue. Um, I don't want anybody to have the impression that this policy has passed and, uh, you know, uh, uh, the, the committees and the board of directors have spoken so let's cut off that that discussion that's only not the intent uh, we want to continue address and work together or we want to continue address those concerns and work together to find some solutions for for those concerns
0: and I think not so much a question but more as what I've heard from our members is they feel as though the policy forces them to violate their fiduciary duty to their clients. Their clients are telling them, this is the way I'd like to sell my home, this is the way I'd like to market it, and they no longer have that flexibility. It's, it's two options. Um, and, I, and I think we haven't really found the solution for that with Texas. We're gonna have to find it, and I know, um, as implemented, it will become effective in January, but
1: it won't have to be implemented until... Effective January 1 uh, and implementation required locally Uh, By May first, so some time.
0: But I think one of our members would tell would want me to say to you is they feel like it's a breach of their fiduciary duty to their clients. And how do we how do we reconcile that with? Yes, we know that the MLS should have all of the information, but ultimately, doesn't the consumer have the right to tell us how um, we're going to market that property? So,
1: so uh, what I would say is. uh, you know, it's not just with this rule, right? We have a whole uh, set of rules uh, for the MLS and the MLSs have added additional local rules where, you know, there's an aspect of of when a property or where there's contemplation of using the MLS uh, to market a property or to share listing information with other uh, participants and use it as a mechanism to expose that listing information to IDX, VOW, uh, you know, listing distribution. Uh, You know, there are some, some, limitations, if you will, or some requirements where in, in the clear cooperation proposal is one where if you undertake public marketing, you have to disseminate it. But there's other areas where we have requirements, right? Like the requirement to input a, a photograph, some MLS. We don't have a requirement of a set number of photographs or requirement at the national level. Uh, the local MLSs have implemented, you know, requirement to upload, uh, in this case, four photographs. Um, you know, that's an area where we're not telling, just like the clear cooperation policy proposal uh, or policy. We're not telling a homeowner what they can or can't do. Uh, This policy simply says that if this action is undertaken, in this case public marketing, then the listing broker has uh, by rule a requirement to disclose or disseminate this information to other participants. Um, So it's definitely a conversation between the listing broker and their client informing them of look, I've joined the service, I've agreed to cooperate, and there's also these other rules that I must abide by. This is how we're going to navigate, and this is, if we do X, Y, and Z, then I, in turn, have to take certain actions like uploading photographs, uh, disclosing uh, uh, true and accurate information, providing a clear picture, and, uh, for example, in the code of ethics, and uh, making the, the listing information available to other participants.
0: So what do I say to the member who tells me, you know what, Gilbert, if this is what we're doing, then I'm out. I, I just don't want to participate. If the MLS is going to tell me how I can do my business and how I should serve my client, then I don't want to. How do how am I supposed to address that? Their concerns. What do I tell yeah. them?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and that's, again, maintaining that engagement with membership, right? And, and certainly hearing we want to make sure that uh, members understand that. Uh, their concerns are not being ignored. I I think it's worth continuing the conversation of explaining the uh, pro-competitive, pro-consumer aspects of the MLS and understanding where the MLS has come, uh, or what the MLS has come to be over the past 100 years, which is it still continues to be the the, the best platform, the best uh, tool for for, uh, membership to, not only distribute listing information amongst others, but it's what other industry do you have where we have this level of not just cooperation, but competition and we're still able to maintain an orderly marketplace for the benefit of consumers. So I would just ask that, you know, the conversation start with, let's take a look at how to serve consumers and how to, how best we can work uh, with, e- with each other, with other realtors, with, with other participants of the service and then continue the conversation there. Um, again, certainly this policy doesn't uh, prevent someone from from meeting the needs of their their consumer. Uh, it's a it, the intent here is to further what the MLS is today, uh, which is pro consumer, pro competitive, uh, and a great tool for membership to use.
0: You know, and, and as as the conversations have been happening with 8.0, my thought is, is this the beginning of the commercial system? You know, the commercial system doesn't commercial real estate does not use the MLS, mm-hmm. uh, and it is completely built on you know, different types of networks. Is this the start of residential going the commercial way?
1: So I would hope not. <laughs> um, Me too. But, what I, you know, in saying that, uh, even even looking at commercial, what commercial is doing now, um, you know, NAR recently signed agreements with, uh, 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 Brevitas and, and Crexy to provide uh, a national listing platform for, for members uh, in the commercial space. And so I think that's an acknowledgement that members are looking for national platform solutions, uh, even in the commercial world, where they understand the value of the MLS and they're looking for something MLS-like for commercial. Uh, and that's in place now. And we see uh, wider and wider adoption there. In fact, uh, even if you don't want to sign up for uh, Brevitas or, or Crexie, um at a discount, which uh, NAR has secured for members, but you have a need to access that commercial information. You can access that in in an aggregated uh, format through RPR. RPR's commercial tool set uh, gives members access today. They don't have to pay anything additional. They can log into RPR today and access that. Uh, but again, I think that's an acknowledgement of where commercial uh, is wanting to go, which is leverage what the MLS is today for residential uh, and create a more organized marketplace of, of uh, and one centralized source in which they can share listing information.
0: Does this new policy have anything to do with the lawsuit currently pending?
1: Yeah. No. So this policy again, membership and MLSs have sought guidance from NAR uh, on this issue for a number of years, even you know predating the the, uh, the litigation that was filed this year. Um, so it's not a response to that. Um, I, again, I, I do think though that. Uh, this policy, again, reinforces what the MLS is and how it, it helps to maintain an orderly marketplace uh, and provides a system to better service consumers and, and provide greater access to data for consumers so that they can work with one member that can give them access to uh, you know, all the listing information within their marketplace.
0: So, Renee, I appreciate you taking the time out of your busy yeah. schedule. I know you've been speaking at lots of committee <laughs> meetings about the policy, so thank you very much. Of course, my pleasure. This new policy passed NAR's board of directors on November 11th with 91% approval. While SABOR's board of directors felt it needed more deliberations, we will work to find the best way to implement this newly adopted policy in a way that serves our members and the buyers and sellers they represent. Next, we have Katie Johnson, NAR general counsel and chief member experience officer with info about some exciting things NAR is working on, including the That's Who We Are campaign, the C2EX program, and advice on how members can get involved at the national level. Thank you for joining us.
2: Thank you for asking me.
0: So tell us, what are your roles as the Chief Member Experience Officer?
2: Sure. Thanks Gilbert. So in the past couple of years, NAR has done a major reorganization under our new CEO, Bob Goldberg. And part of that reorg was to look at the member experience and to say, how can we do better serving members and making sure they understand the value of membership in the realtor organization and that we are being relevant to them and offering the products and services that they care most about and, and ultimately the ones that are going to help them succeed. So with that very defined strategy in mind, we created a new team, or a couple new teams at NAR, called Member Experience and Engagement. And I luckily get to oversee those teams. The Member Experience team is really focused as the first point of contact for members um, regarding all things policy and national policy related um, that involves participation in our governance system and it includes professional standards, MLS policies, membership policies, um, and even our, our global committees and commercial committees. The engagement team is really focused on outreach with the organizations that also serve our members. So our engagement team is focused on um, creating strong relationships with state and local associations, as well as multicultural organizations and global bilateral partners who and our many institute societies and councils like CCIM and IROM and RLI, that also work with the same mission of serving members.
0: Awesome. So one of the other things that I understand y'all were changing is the core values. I know y'all worked hard. Can you tell us a little bit about how you started implementing those?
2: Yeah. So um, again, CEO Bob Goldberg came in with a very defined vision of improving the member experience. And part of that is to make sure that all employees at NAR are on the same page about what's important to achieving that goal. Um, And and he's very clearly defined five values as being the most important to NAR employees. Um, Those are members first. Everything we do has to be thinking, how does this benefit the member? Uh, Collaborate. How are we going to reach out beyond our individual teams to work with others to ensure a more holistic approach to serving members? Communicate, communicate, communicate. Everyone knows that's the most important um, thing to success. Uh, Respect, always showing respect to each other and of course to our members that we serve. Um, And then very excitingly, leading change is a core value, meaning um, embrace change, understand what's necessary to adapt to the current environment in order to remain relevant like we strive to be um, and identify what needs to change and then embrace it and lead it and just lead by example.
0: So one of the things about core values is how we actually effectuate it, right? So we write them down, but then we're going to put it in action. So you guys have done a lot of new things to put those core values in action. What are some of the ones you would highlight? I'm I thinking about the Who We Are campaign or um, just the code of ethics. What would you highlight?
2: Yeah, so let's start with the "That's Who We Are" campaign, um, wildly successful com- consumer awareness campaign. Um, members have embraced this campaign more than anyone in, in my 12 years' history, but also in you know the recent past. Um, since the consumer awareness campaign first launched in the 90s, um, it's it's such a success because it's so simple um, and yet so effective. And um, in 2020, we're going to build upon that the success of the campaign that we had this year and offer members um, new visuals, new messages. You'll see a lot more um, or you know more commercials, um, also expounding the benefits of. Um, realtor value and and specifically why consumers should uh, continue to uh, see realtors as being essential to their home ownership journey.
0: Awesome. So you had also mentioned um, at one of the committee meetings that we're changing the requirements for satisfying your code of ethics training. Can you tell us a little bit about that requirement?
2: Yeah. So um, as you know, the um, code of ethics training has been required for many years at NAR. Um, it was uh, When it was first implemented, it was required every four years. And um, you could take the course that's available free online at nar.realtor, um, or you could use other Um, uh, training courses provided that they satisfy all the uh, requirements. Members and associations have expressed some feedback as to how that requirement could be improved and so there was a PAG implemented this year to look at that. Um, One of the very exciting changes that has been implemented is to require um, more options in terms of satisfying the requirement and so no longer, so NAR is charged with um, uh, finding alternatives, not just the standard code of ethics strict training but also expand that to include professionalism. Don't just focus on the code, focus on enhancing professionalism generally. Um, And that's how you interact with each other and that's how you interact with with consumers. And so with that broader purpose, um, the board of directors has already agreed that the commitment to excellence program will now satisfy the code of ethics training requirement. So anybody who earns their commitment to excellence endorsement, Uh, will automatically satisfy the requirement such that they don't have to worry at the end of the cycle about getting their hours in.
0: That's good news. I know we're always trying to address our members' needs and finding out how to make things easier, and that sounds like exactly what's happening. So if you were going to advise any of our members, how do you engage with NAR? What would your advice be?
2: Um, First, I'd say great question and um, great desire you reaching out to NAR um, to to um, take uh, take advantage of the many benefits and services that are available to you is the smartest thing you can do as a member Um, there's so many resources available and so many opportunities available um, that first asking the question is the first step so well done you uh and then i'd say that um our member experience team is that's exactly what they do is they they provide you the information and the resources so um it's a matter of going to the website nar.realtor finding anything of interest to you because it's all tied back to a staff person at nar you can contact Every single person listening to this is welcome to contact me, um, Kay Johnson at Realtors.org, um, because I can connect you with the people at NAR who can, you know, uh, uh, satisfy your your questions. Um, but there's a lot of um, opportunity to engage as well. Um, from the educational standpoint, you want to learn more. You want to enhance your professionalism. Um, obviously, we're talking here at the annual conference and trade expo, where there is a number, hundreds of educational offerings available um, for for attendees. We also have a similar um, meeting experience in uh, every May in Washington D.C. Um, in between those meetings, we have um, Broker Edge su- or Broker Summits, um, a couple of those per year, really focused on. Um, enhancing the success of brokers Uh, we have many tech edge events that are very technology related that's where we partner with a local or state association to provide that kind of one day technology updates and trainings to make sure that um, members are honing their skills uh, and then, of course, if you want to actually engage at the governance level, meaning you want to contribute to the policy making and the, the impact that the association has on the industry as a whole, um, you are welcome to participate in our committee structure. Uh, how you do that, you go to NAR.realtor and, and search committees, and you'll see an applic- the, all the information you need about the application process. It does require that you submit a profile, so the applications are open um, in the spring every year. I believe it's like March to May um, that is the open application process. Um, so before March, go online, check out the process, and fill out your profile. Your profile is going to ask, um, who are you? Where are you from? What are you interested in? What are your areas of expertise? And what else do you want us to know about you in terms of a a contributor to NAR's governance? And the leadership team that that selects the committees is so committed to finding a role for every single person who applies uh, that I think that everyone is well served by raising their hand and saying, give me a shot.
0: Well, I'm hoping our members will take that advice and and get involved at the national level. I appreciate you putting your email out there as as evidence of how easy it is to engage with you all. And I appreciate you giving us the time to um, out of your busy schedule at the NAR conference to, to sit down and talk to us and tell us a little bit about NAR. So enjoy the rest of your conference and thank you.
2: Great. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it.
0: Thanks for listening to Get Real. Be sure to subscribe for future episodes and share us with your friends on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. More information on this episode can be found at sabre.com getreal. Until next time.